You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Thank you for joining us on Easy's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we've been turning to experts for guidance in a range of mental health topics, particularly in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic, with people being separated from their loved ones, the loss of jobs, the loss of security. And that's in addition to the many challenges that people face on a daily basis, even without COVID-19 in the picture. So I'm very happy to welcome the Chief Medical Officer at Fort Lauderdale Behavioral Health Center, board certified in general psychiatry with a fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry, Dr. Jared Gaines. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. And we appreciate your knowledge and your willingness to share it. These have been undoubtedly very difficult times for everyone. Can you just give us an overview of the range of mental health issues that you deal with at Fort Lauderdale Behavioral Health Center? So, yes, certainly. At Fort Lauderdale Behavioral Health Center, we have programs inpatient as well as outpatient for children, adolescents, young adults, older adults, and seniors, anywhere from depression, anxiety, trauma, all the way to anyone who would need a transcranial magnetic stimulation treatment for depression or anxiety symptoms, and ECT services as well, people that have severe depression that's otherwise been remitting due to medicines and therapy. There's still so much of a stigma associated with mental health. I think maybe less so now because people are experiencing things they've never experienced before due to the issues with COVID-19. First of all, what kind of changes have you had to make to accommodate safety guidelines for COVID-19? So in our hospital, we've had to first make sure that patients that are getting sent to us from other facilities have tested negative for COVID-19. We're able to do a screening questionnaire to be able to see if anybody's been in contact with anybody that has coronavirus or has had symptoms consistent with coronavirus. And then we have uh, coronavirus testing for anybody that would either have the symptoms of or the story that would make us worried that they have, in fact, been around individuals with coronavirus. So we do coronavirus testing in-house. We have masks for patients, for nurses, and all staff, as well as multiple stations for hand sanitation and gloves for staff members as well. In our our group meetings, we've had to divide into two separate meetings to keep the uh, population density in the meetings low enough so that we can keep people spread. So you can still provide all the services that you normally do? Yes. The only change has been on our outpatient services. We're using the Zoom technology for telehealth interviews through computer as opposed to live clinic appointments in order to still maintain the distancing where applicable. Obviously, that wouldn't work very well try and take care of people in a hospital. But in a clinic, we can, we can do that and accommodate it that way. 
so that we're minimizing exposure as much as possible. Okay. Um, You know, we know that everyone has been affected in some way by COVID-19. Have you seen people reaching out for help who had never considered mental health assistance before? I don't think I can say that I've seen people reaching out now who never have before. There, there might have been a couple. What I have seen is that people that were already needing help who otherwise had been, let's call it stable, been doing well for a while. And there's somebody that we were just seeing in a clinic and not too frequently actually have a significant worsening in their symptoms. We've had an increase in outpatient visits, more people that are benefiting from counseling services. So in that regard, yes. But I haven't seen coronavirus specifically increase admissions to our psychiatric hospital for people that never otherwise would have been admitted to the hospital. Now, for the ones who already had situations they were dealing with, what are the concerns that they're talking about that have triggered them to have a worsening condition? That's an excellent question. So there's a range and it's not necessarily either or. There are, to some degree, everybody's worried about the disease and their knowledge of or experience with or their concerns about whether or not they or one of their loved ones are going to be susceptible to it has been a concern for everybody. How much of a concern it is for them does seem to vary from individual to individual based on their circumstance and the way they respond to things. But we've also seen the economic change with things being stopped. We've seen effects with children and families that the kids that are no longer able to go to school and aren't even able to go to summer camps and uh, have gone a while probably not seeing many of their friends. And same for parents that otherwise would now have to do some version of homeschooling with their kids that they weren't counting on doing. We're seeing that impact family dynamics in in different ways. Uh, In some ways, there's been some positivity in those interactions. But the thing that's been difficult for most people is none of this was planned and uh, sort of thrust on everybody simultaneously, whether they liked it or not, or they were prepared for it or not. And uh, we've seen several individuals with resilience that have been able to bounce from it, and then other people that we're already having a hard time, having a more difficult time. So it's concern over catching the illness and what will come from that, as well as changes in their life. People that have lost their jobs and are very disturbed by that or they're furloughed and they're hoping at any day now that that'll come out and what will happen to them financially has been a large concern for individuals or for people that have to take care of other people. And people that have been forced to be caregivers now to elderly because they, it's going to be the best environment for their loved one. But a month ago, these, uh, a lot of these families were was working, kids were in school, and elderly individuals had caregivers that were dedicated to them. But with coronavirus, there's been several families where all of these levels have to be combined. So uh, people are staying home to either work from home or not work. Children are doing the quote-unquote distance learning, so they're doing school from home. And elderly individuals in the family are also in the home with them. So it's it's now become caregiver responsibilities extended dramatically, which has also been an extreme stress for people. So we've seen that as well. You mentioned for some people it actually had a positive impact. Can you share that viewpoint for people who might not have thought of it? And it might go, wow, okay, there are good things we can take from this. 
Well, in, and I think it's going to have to be your experience with it that would dictate that. If you lost somebody close to you or you're in an age range or have a premorbid condition that would put you at risk, it's going to be hard to see any silver lining in it. There have been other people that are younger, healthier, that have the ability and the means to have their children at home and still do well with the online learning. They're able to connect with their friends through social media and take advantage of that. And uh, a lot of families that have started exercising more outside together, riding bikes together, you know, turning off the television, turning off video games and actually spending more time together where wouldn't have been able to have that before because everybody was more spread out and busier away from the home. So bringing everybody into the home has been a stressor for some people and uh, a blessing for other people, a found surprise, um, sometimes a little bit of both. But I've also heard families, you know, saying there's been much less stress on them, especially if some family members were already working from home and this really hasn't changed uh, their life for the for the worse. They haven't had an economic impact. The fact that they're able to spend time with their children or that it's forced it has really helped people, I guess, appreciate uh, some of the things that perhaps they weren't able to take advantage of before. Like I'd say, it, it, it really does depend on each person's experience of it uh, overall it, this is not this has been a net negative obviously for our health and overall for our mental health there's mm-hmm. just been pockets of circumstance where it, if you're not sick and you're not worried that anyone around you is going to get sick or isn't likely to become severely ill from it and your children can adapt and do just fine on the computer all you found is that you have more time now with them um, so there is that circumstance that has been fortunate in some families, uh, not in every. And I, I don't even know that I could say in most. Right. But uh, but uh, to say that I haven't heard that also would just not be true. So it's um, probably more typical that there's more stress, um, more concern about the future. And as you mentioned, for kids, especially right now, where we're at the point where they're supposed to be going through graduation, having their senior skip days, going to prom, and they can't do any of those rites of passage, and they can't even really hang out with their friends all that much. Right. Have you seen ways in which they're acting out or how it's affecting them? Uh, I've seen a couple instances of that. I saw, being specific, uh, some kids, I guess, acting out in the only way that I can interpret it is just boredom. And <laughs> and it sounded like a good idea at the time, but turned out not to be. And uh, something if they were in school, they would not have skipped school to do it. But I, I guess in all sincerity, if you imagine kids at home bored, um, you'd imagine there'd be some of that. Not that it isn't, I guess, of concern, but uh, I, I wouldn't attributed to otherwise worsening mental illness more than just the circumstance that uh, they're at home, the amount of time socializing is decreased, the amount of time spent otherwise on work or things that occupy their time is decreased, so it makes those experiences more likely. Are there some recommendations that you can give to parents to kind of work their way through this with kids? And, you know, I know it's different in every circumstance, but uh, ways that they can try and connect with their children who are stressing about being bored and not being able to do the things they want to do. So, yes, I would. And, And yes, you're right. It does depend 
on the individual experience if we're going to make tailor-made recommendations. But I think what I could say that would be the most helpful is that we're not exactly reinventing the wheel here. This isn't the first thing any family's ever had to stress about, and this isn't the first time a child or a young adult has ever had to go through something difficult. It's unique in that none of us have ever been through a pandemic before. Uh, so that part is different, but really it's, can we define how it's affecting our lives presently, how it's likely going to affect our lives in the future, and then what are the things that we can do that would improve our lives now and into the future health as well as socially and spiritually? So I, the first thing I guess I would say is whatever you are already doing that's working, please keep doing more of. Don't assume that every way that you would approach a stressful situation is just automatically wrong because we're up against something that we haven't exactly had to deal with before. And it does seem that the people that are resilient and adaptable have been adapting. Not that they have had stress to have to do it, but what human being is going to go through life without any type of stress and what makes us think that we won't be able to get through this stress too. So the, the generalities would be, how do you usually handle stressful situations with yourself, with children? Can you learn to separate out what are the things that are the most important and rank order them? Because it's very important to do that now. But these are things that have always been important to do, but going through a pandemic and forcing everybody to relook at uh, what we prioritize and how we live and just reevaluate what order they should be in. If you notice that spending time with children, having family dinners, doing movie nights, you can't go to the movies, is actually helping some harmony into your home, into your life, then even after the pandemic's gone, it's going to still be an adaptive behavior that makes sense to continue. So to learn from that and see that and try different things. And if they're not working, don't be afraid to say it's not working just because it worked for somebody else. But once you see the things that are working, have enough confidence to know that, yes, exactly, keep that up. Staying organized as much as possible it matters more because uh, having a schedule, I mean, the, the idea that I'm referencing in my head, if uh, that child's day was even half full, what they did would not have happened. And, you know, nobody got hurt. It was just, a, it was, a, I don't know to put it, something uh, that child would not have done otherwise. Right. Um, so I, I guess I don't know that there's reason to believe that there's going to be long-term emotional damage. Uh, prom, uh, I mean, all these things are, are rites of passage that we've been taught to look forward to and sure are a lot of fun. So, there's going to be a loss of that. But I think kids are also able to adapt to the fact that there is this thing, the coronavirus, and yeah, it really stinks. And there is going to be uh, another act. There is going to be an act three in this where we're able to have some resolution and reconnection in our social activities that they'll be able to make it through now and enjoy at some later time. And it's not just, sorry, that got put off, but we have to be as creative as possible to make the present time as much fun and as connected as possible, realizing that, no, it's not, it's not our new normal. It's just what we, just the new things we have to do now to stay normal. And the things that help us balance are still the things that will help us balance. Just how do we get to them? So that's where it's, if I'm giving advice or working with anybody, it's, taking their exact situation and how they were able to strike balance and be as creative as possible to help them restrike it 
as close as possible and then obviously go back to what you were doing that was working as soon as we can. You know, just the way you phrase it, when you talk about it being just really one more thing that we have to deal with that's a stressor, when we always deal with stresses, that alone puts it in such a great perspective to make it easier to cope with right off the bat. This is not right. the rest of our lives. This is a period of time. Right. And, and if you think about it, it's, it feels like forever. It's a couple <laughs> months. But, I mean, my God, when's the last time a, that a couple of months felt this long? Right. I agree. It sure feels like I like, can you even remember when, you know, wearing a mask wasn't a thing? It, it feels like it just it just started. Right. Because um, it, it is actually recent. And since it came with such a scare and such an unknown, everyone's understandably so. The reaction is, oh, my God, it's going to change everything. And, you know, it may change a lot of things. But what it seems like is that our resiliency and our ability to solve problems is going to be what ends up changing things, some things out of necessity and some things out of us unearthing the fact that there is probably a better way for us to live our lives that we can all be happier and not a one-size-fits-all approach. But for each individual family, who's been left out of this? Who has this not impacted? It's impacted everybody in some way, shape, or form. There's nobody on the sidelines in this. And I think it's more accurate for us to feel empowered to know that it, I'm not just calling you like, that's eh, one more stressor. It, who, who needed this? But to say like, oh my God, we're going to have to surrender. Everyone's going to be miserable. That's, that's not fair either. And time will tell. And it doesn't seem to be the case that it's all despair. Day one with the negative news could be. But if we frame it, if we put on a lens where we see things as problems that we have to solve, you know, who, who hasn't already had to try to figure out solutions to problems? Who hasn't lost somebody close to them already from a different condition entirely and had to grow past that and adjust or been surprised at school or grades in school or needing to change schools or move or not be able to speak to friends because you moved? I mean, it, this doesn't mean that these aren't difficult things to have to go through in life, but I, I'd give enough confidence to people to be able to have the strength to deal with the difficult things in life. And I, I don't see evidence, at least to date, that this specifically, this coronavirus, is destroying the social structure of children anyway, at least not so far. There have been some homes that have definitely been made worse that are impacting children, and some that are, if, if you didn't tell them there was a pandemic, they're happier. So right. it, it, really does, it really does tend to vary. Don't want any activities canceled. Um, so that's been, I'm not going to say that's a positive. If you didn't want to go to prom, then fine. It's worse that it's taken away from you, sure. But uh, I think we can have, trust children to be able to voice their thoughts on it, speak to them honestly about it, what we're doing about it, and also the things in life that are still wonderful, fantastic to pay attention to, which is a useful adaptive skill to be resilient in any circumstance. And it'll also apply well to God knows what else we're going to face in the future. Right. And we've uh, seen that, a lot of young people who have taken this time and used it for good, who've started, yes. you know, sewing masks and making, right. doing donations and doing charity work and serving the community from home. Right. No, and I've seen that too. And that would be a, a positive resiliency for that individual. Right. And, uh, 
if we see it, we see it in the families. So uh, we try our best to identify if there's a negative impact. And not just from this, we were doing mental health work before this happened. Oh, yeah. Right. So so it's we're still taking the temperature, so to speak, on mental health anyway. Right. Um, and if the coronavirus is part of it, then we deal with it. Well, it brings to mind 9-11 and your Valor program for first responders, yes. because certainly there are people who are on the front lines who have a very different perspective on things yes. and they see the worst of it. So tell me about this Valor program. Thank you very much for asking about it. Uh, we're very proud of it and we're very excited to have the opportunity to serve our first responders. It was open several months before coronavirus. It wasn't actually in response to coronavirus. Uh, the idea, it's gained, I guess, seemingly a little bit more attention because of it, but the idea was to be able to create a safe and effective environment for first responders to be able to relate to their peers. There's a very distinct, different experience uh, of life for individuals that are otherwise truly in harm's way most of the time. Right. Uh, whereas other people uh, might witness a few accidents or a couple or some hardships or something that we might see on television, uh, this is their nine to five, you know, if they're only working nine to five and most people are working more hours than that. Mm-hmm. So they're coming across it all the time, which doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room for their own depression and families if and when it does help substance abuse. Um, and a lot of people, you, you talk about a stigma within that community feel that there is a stigma amongst them. Like they're supposed to be able to just shake it off. You know, come on, you're, you're a hero. Shake it off. It's like, would name, name any other illness where we would tell people to just shake it off. Right. Like, you know, I, you know, I, I know you just had a heart attack, but come on, shake it off. <laughs> or, uh, you know, your leg was fractured, but you know, just put some weight on it. It'll heal. Don't worry about it. Like, You'd never imagine, but this is this is how they live. This is how they live the majority of times. And the people, what's what's hard is the people who are struggling. A lot of times, feel that they should be able to deal with it, keep it to themselves. We see what happens when people, as you would say, bottle things up. And then also the other level, the ones who are aware that they need some help. Who do they go to? Who are they going to trust? They can tell a colleague. They can tell a friend. Um, are they going to lose their job? Are they going to be viewed at maybe they're not capable of doing their job if they're dealing with what, I don't know, is completely normal for human beings to deal with? Mm-hmm. So it completely remove the stigma, provide a protected environment where their identity is not known to anyone else. Um, HIPAA rules apply to all patients, but this is where they're only on with other first responders. We have a clinical director who's an active fire chief who is fantastically involved and well-trained and has been doing this for three decades. So is to help liaise with them as well. The therapists are well-trained so that we can really serve this community and give them the attention that you know, we feel they deserve and would actually be helpful. It's, uh, I mean, otherwise it's, Even if in some areas you could tell a colleague at work, you don't have the opportunity to do that here and certainly not on the job. I mean, you're going to talk to somebody that you're rescuing uh, in the middle of a rescue about your home life. I mean, there's quite frankly, no one to speak to. And the concern that if you do, you'll wish you didn't because, oh, my God, there's consequences. So we can help alleviate all of that. There aren't consequences except the consequence of improvement. 
and you know time energy and effort that's spent on it so that's that's where the valor program comes in and it's any and all things that would affect people that are either active service members retired service members or active or retired first responders does so that include at this point doctors and nurses at this point it does not there's a physicians and nurses recovery network program that's been in existence longer. The Valor program is specifically set up for first responders. Okay, so military, so, uh, firefighters, police. Nine one one dispatch, yes. Got it. Active, retired. So all military, police, firefighter, Coast Guard, exactly. And how would someone contact you if they hear this and say, that's exactly what I need, I want to be part of the Valor program? Okay, so that, that's excellent. So it'd still be our main phone number at the hospital. And if they asked for the Valor unit, they'd be transferred directly to it. And the only individuals we answer the phone there are people that are affiliated with the Valor program. So we don't have covering nurses or techs that don't know of it. I mean, they're, they're assigned to the Valor unit specifically to work only on the Valor unit. And what uh, is the phone number? So the phone number for the hospital is area code 954-734-2000. And then uh, I guess the prompt to dial zero for the operator and ask for the Valor program and they will transfer you. Okay. Whether you're interested in it, you're a family member who's calling for someone else, it would go straight to the Valor program at that point. Okay. And what about anyone who has other issues that they'd like help dealing with and they want to reach out? Is there a different number or so, the same? So, so you can use the same number, but actually, if you dial 954-734-2001, that rings directly in our admissions department. That could also help with Valor, but you do have the opportunity to call the Valor unit directly if you're a Valor patient. But the 954-734-2001 gets you directly to our intake and admissions department. And they're open 24-7 for all services. And is there a number for someone who is in crisis right now at any time and needs to speak to someone right away? So by definition, crisis would mean someone's got to come to them right now or else is always 911. Okay. Uh, if it's otherwise like needs immediate help but isn't in imminent danger at this exact moment, then it would have them call the admissions line to be able to come in and speak to an intake evaluator to go over what we could offer what we would recommend for them. Okay, so, so 954-734-2001 or yes. specifically for the Valor program, 954-734-2000. And the website has everything you provide and that's ftlauderdalebehavioral.com. Yes, Okay. that is correct. Okay. Um, anything else that you want people to know about Fort Lauderdale Behavioral Health Center? Um, that uh, we're very excited to take care of people. We've seen a lot of success. We're always working to improve. We appreciate any and all feedback. And uh, no, it's it's really been the community's definitely welcomed us there. And uh, we're very grateful for that. And uh, we are looking to make a difference for anyone who comes to us. What you've said today has made a difference in providing a, a bigger perspective, I think, on the whole COVID-19 thing and being able to put it 
as just another, not just another thing, but as one more thing that we have to deal with in our life and kind of take away all the drama of, oh my right. God, this is the end of the world, because it's not. Well, right. It, no, and it, it definitely is not the end of the world. The world will go on just fine. Um, but you're right. It is healthier to frame it correctly, which is, it's a problem. How do we solve problems? Um, what are the specifics about this particular problem? How do we, you know, best make our way through this particular problem? And it's not the last problem that we'll ever have, and it's not the first problem anybody's ever had either. It's the unique problem. That's true. But uh, I guess if it was something you've already dealt with before, you wouldn't identify it as a new problem. Right. So, yes, I, I still feel that frame is the most accurate and most helpful for people. And then if it at least brings it back down to something everybody can comprehend that I'm grateful for that. You know, otherwise it is still something that everybody is in some way having to deal with. That's true. Right. And I'm not trying to minimize. No, this, that's the not pandemic. the perception guess, at all. That's... I, guess I, I don't want people to minimize their ability to be resilient in the face of a new threat. Right. Well, I thank right. you so much for your time and your knowledge, Dr. Jared Gaines, Chief Medical Officer at Fort Lauderdale Behavioral Health Center. The phone number again, 954-734-2000 for the Valor Program, 954-734-2001 for general admission, and it's ftlauderdalebehavioral.com. Thank you so much. Thank you, too. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Easy's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. I'm Ellen Jaffe. If you have questions about today's show or would like to suggest a topic, you can email me at ellen at easy93.com. Join us again next Sunday at 6.50 for an all-new edition of Easy's Community Focus. Have a great day. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.